Welcome to The Principled Podcast, brought to you by LRN. The Principled Podcast brings together the collective wisdom on ethics, business and compliance, transformative stories of leadership, and inspiring workplace culture. Listen in to discover valuable strategies from our community of business leaders and workplace change makers. With increasing demands from institutional investors, employees, consumers, shareholders around ESG priorities, how are corporate boards ensuring that their companies are assessing, measuring, and shaping business strategy to be responsive to these expectations? Hello, and welcome to another episode of LRN's Principal Podcast. I'm your guest host, Dr. Marsha Shaggy hames a partner at Tapestry Networks. Today, I'm joined by Virginia Atticott, the former president and CEO of FedEx Custom Critical. Virginia serves on the board of CDW Corporation and Element Fleet Management. We're going to be talking about the critical role of boards in shaping ethical corporate culture and why board diversity is essential to creating meaningful organizational change. Virginia is a real expert in the space, having carved out an impressive career in operations and innovation in logistics at a time when relatively few women were in the industry. Virginia joined FedEx Custom Critical in 1986 and quickly worked her way up the ranks, holding director positions and various departments where she placed a strong focus on organizational culture, customer satisfaction, and developing people. Virginia has been inducted into the Northeastern Ohio Business Hall of Fame. She's received the Women of Power Award from the Akron Urban League and received the Leadership Excellence Award from the National Diversity Council. Virginia, thank you for coming on the Principled Podcast. Well, thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. So let's get started from the top. So you had such an accomplished career. You retired as president and CEO at FedEx Custom Critical before turning to a distinguished career of service on both corporate and nonprofit boards. Maybe to start, just share a little bit more about your journey and how these experiences have helped shape and prepare you for the lens of oversight and board service. Yes, absolutely. As you have mentioned, I had a really terrific career at the FedEx Corporation, leading the FedEx Custom Critical Organization. I was with the organization for a little over 33 years. Unbelievable in this day and age, I think. But I really did have a terrific career because I started out in the ranks and moved my way up quite quickly. And I think really starting out, really, I'll say doing the doing, having your hands dirty and really in the operations really did shape and prepare me for ascending to the role of president and CEO because I really understood how the organization worked, how the people worked together. And through that 33 years, one of the biggest things that I did see was that culture is everything to an organization and how you treat your employees with fairness and dignity and making sure they know that they're valued in their work really makes the difference in how you can execute a strategy 
And I love strategy, but without having a really engaged workforce, it's very difficult to take any strategy and put it into into play. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. As you sort of kind of came through this, I would say, observation of the importance of the intersection of of not just the, the execution, but the how we get there. There were relatively few examples of female leaders in your industry. And a lot of sort of how we look at the lens of decisions can be informed by our own personal and professional experiences. Tell us a little bit more about how your experience of perhaps being the first woman or the only woman in a room sort of shaped how you took your next steps in your career and and maybe some of the lessons that you're carrying forward into the boardroom. Well, definitely when I began my career back in the 80s, the later 80s and 90s, you're right, there weren't that many women in the leadership levels of our industry and the transportation industry. And of course today, much different story to that. But one of the things that it was absolutely apparent to me is the whole need for diversity around a table, because one of the things that I witnessed was that when you have the same types of people all sitting around a table, and they've had maybe similar backgrounds, similar experiences, et cetera, they come to the table with similar viewpoints. When you start bringing people to the table who have had diverse background experience, you really do start to get a whole new possibility of how you'll take something forward, how you'll shape your strategy, how you'll handle and work with those people who are working with you and for you. So I I really do think that the opportunity to be that person who was maybe the only or one of very few gave me the context as to how that feels and how important it is to have the diversity, but also how to embrace and engage and work with people who come from many different types of backgrounds. So I think embrace is a great sort of characterization here because it starts with the willingness to be open and inclusive of, you know, ideas or (laughs) points of view that may differ from your own. And, you know, I've certainly been in dozens of conversations now with corporate directors that continue to reveal this, this pressing need for boards to really improve their understanding of diversity, equity, inclusion. And there's a lot of dialogue around the board's role in the governance of DEI, especially as you know, investors and employees are, are demanding more progress from institutions. I'd like to get your reflections a little bit more on this. I mean, to what extent, both in, within kind of your own industry, and I think more holistically, are you seeing progress around inclusivity, diversity, even gender parity? And what is really the responsibility that you feel is of the corporation in being more intentional about driving this forward? Well, I have the luxury of sitting, of course, on a couple of of boards. And I can tell you on both of our boards, we have a really firm look at the entire ESG and we talk about it. But the number one thing we understand before you even get to ESG is how important diversity is. And so it's not doing it because somebody just said, hey, we have this thing called ESG and this is what you need to do. It's really understanding and again, embracing the idea that when you have people from different backgrounds, whether it's gender, whether it's ethnic, whether it's background of an experience, when you get those people around the table, you get a better answer. And there's studies out there that show, I I can't quote them off the top of my head, but There's studies out there that show that when you do have this diversity, a company is 
much more likely to thrive, grow, and be profitable. So it's kind of a no-brainer to know that that's important. Now, I'll tell you that the boards I sit on, we do talk about this at the board meeting, and we do have metrics around it and have the human resources or the chief operating officer, but we include all of the C-level players at these companies in talking about how are we doing, how can we do better, and really working around the ideas of acceptance of other ideas, embracing other people's thoughts and experiences. So it's an ongoing conversation and a dialogue. And again, it's not one done just because of ESG. It's done because we all understand that diversity will help our company be even better. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it's really a testament to the cultures of the boards you sit on too, Yes. in terms of some of the, the progressive sort of design and openness to keep this as a priority on agendas, to be more inclusive of some of the C-level executives. Not every board today is, is taking those approaches. So that's a fantastic example. Well, I think you see it just from at least my experience has been when you see a board that has good communication amongst themselves, good dialogue, and good dialogue, of course, with the C-level and even those, you know, kind of below that level, when you've got good communication and I'll say respectfulness of thoughts and opinions, that maybe I'll bring something up and maybe the chief operating officer or the CEO or somebody, maybe they agree, maybe they disagree with my thought, but they're open to hearing the thought. I think that's where it all begins, right, is you've got to be respectful of each other and communicating with each other and open to each other's ideas first. And then when you start talking about diversity, certainly that then spills over into it. But I think you have to start with this notion that we're all here for the good of the whole, for the good of the company, for the good of the shareholder, and that we need to be open to ideas so that we don't go down the wrong path or, you know, make unnecessary twists and turns. But by listening to each other, we can come up with the best ideas. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's so important to point out just the simplicity, but the power of respect and respectful communication and good listening skills. Yeah, absolutely. And it's and it's great when, you know, you're sitting in a boardroom and people come up with ideas and they we can banter them around. The board is not trying to certainly tell the executives how to run their company, but we're all in it together to advise and to talk about it and to have that good dialogue so that we can come up with the right answers to situations or strategy, et cetera. I think one of the things that I've really witnessed I can say personally, what I've witnessed is this move from, with ESG coming out, is move from having a plan to become more diverse in an organization. And maybe even over a couple of years where you see the plan and it gets presented again, and we're not really making that great of a headway or et cetera. So for me, what I'm seeing is we're seeing the plan and we're seeing headway because We, the board, are saying, okay, so you didn't get to move the needle as much here. Tell me what you're going to do next time. And then again, we banter it around. We talk about best practices. We've seen other places, maybe some creative ideas to finding diversity to come in 
or raising people up within the organization. But I think that this ESG certainly has prompted the notion that you can't just keep putting numbers up and them not moving. You need to see movement and then let's get creative on how we're going to do that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, building a little bit on ESG issues. So you and I initially, we met, um, you're a part of our audit committee network and you have been a fantastic contributor to our ethics, culture and compliance network. However, every committee I think that you're on and, and then you're a part of seems to be morphing into some sort of ESG committee. There's just so much focus now on climate risk, people, talent, you know, cyber tech transformation and all these issues. From your vantage point, and these are great examples around how do we go from the plan to making headway on the plan, what would be your guidance for our listeners? How can boards start to really approach thinking or planning differently around oversight of these issues? What are some strategies you picked up where boards could be doing better? I think one of the things that we've got to, I'm just going to bring this one up, is that post and I don't want to say post-COVID because obviously COVID is still alive and well, but I'll say post-vaccine. One of the things that we're seeing is a big stretch on people because of people exiting the workforce or moving companies. So I think one of the things is we there is a heightened focus on climate and people and cyber, et cetera, as, as you've mentioned. And then we have this exit of people. So one of the things we have to do is really understand who is in charge of each of these things what is the team, the committee, and make sure that they are staffed correctly to get the work done. Because what I'm seeing is quite a bit of stress in workforces, right? Uh, Just in general. And so I think it's really making sure that when you look at each of these areas that are very important to us, that who is on point for it and what resources do they have to do this? And the other piece for me that I'm seeing a lot of, which I really love, is the collaborative effort across the companies to address these issues. For instance, cyber is not an IT or technology issue. Yes, probably the leadership and ownership sits there from the standpoint of the you know CIO or or whoever it is in that organization, but it's the operations, it's the human resources, it's the marketing, it's the legal, and they all have to collaborate to make sure that we're in compliance, that we've, we are on track with you know, the cyber possibilities and the cyber threats. So one of the things I've seen through all of this is really a nice collaboration. We were just talking the other day, I was at a board meeting, and one of the things we were talking about, and this is around the diversity piece especially, was how everybody has to own diversity. And it's got to be a part of the fabric of each organization within the company. And it's not something we're checking off so that we can have an ESG score. It has to be woven into the fabric of everyday things that we do to make sure that people are One, from the very beginning, that we've got a diverse slate of candidates when we have jobs available, that we're working with, let's say, universities or colleges or depending upon what the job is, other people to how do we develop a new slate of candidates. And then within our companies, making sure we're working from within the company to make sure people are getting the right development to move up. But it has to be 
each and everything we have to do, are we doing things each day to make sure people feel included, that we're listening, and that we're valuing the opinions and inputs of people who may not look like us, may not come from the same country we do, may not worship the same way, may not like the same people that we do, et cetera. So for me, it's I'm seeing much more collaboration. And again, let's weave it into the fabric of the organization. This is not a number to check off. Yeah. No, this is this is an excellent example. And what I'm really hearing from you here is the ownership and the threading into the DNA, you know, as you're saying, sort of mm-hmm. weave it in. How can boards activate this expectation? Because there's a lot of conversation around who in management owns it, how much time do they have to be visible at the board level in terms of what's being measured and what's changing. But I've also heard sort of if the board is not demanding or asking of, are we able to affect change? So I'm just sort of wondering, it's kind of this tension between who's driving what, who's taking those first steps. Right. So definitely the human resources type function is going to, or the chief diversity officer is going to present information. And of course, we want to see that and we want to see those metrics move. But I think one of the places that boards can really, when let's say when a new position is coming available, a high level position is coming available, are we asking what does that slate of candidate to look like? And are we, and I'll use the word demanding, but are we really pushing the idea that we need to see a diverse slate? But I think the other place where it's really kind of a a bit of a no-brainer and it's super easy to do is let's say the operations is reporting out on something that we're asking that operational leader, the chief operating officer or somebody, a director, et cetera, we're going to be asking them questions of their organization and what does their organization look like and how have they been taking other people's opinions and new ideas into putting them into play. I think it's asking the questions to many people, not just in that one section where we talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion, but really asking questions as we go through the entire board meeting and putting an emphasis on that. I think that really helps people get the idea that this isn't a check the box. It's a, I need to live my life like this. Yeah. 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 So much of this is sort of kind of a, a purpose values orientation, but then it goes, it goes a little bit back to kind of the culture of the board. Maybe that helps us kind of shift to this topic of, so we've got a, you know, you've been active contributor to the ethics, culture, and compliance network. We formed a a culture measure measurement working group earlier this year, and you contributed to helping create a framework that boards can leverage as a guiding tool to assess culture. Tell me a little bit about how do you see frameworks like this helping directors really move the needle? How are you thinking or or leveraging this even within your own boards? I can tell you when I was talking to one of my boards about being involved in this ethics, culture, and compliance network, they said, oh, good. I I really look forward to seeing what your outcomes are and and maybe see how we can use it. So I think number one is, from my standpoint, is certainly talking about it and talking about the work that we have been doing. And it was a great group that you, you all put together. But I think then is, I think there's a lot of boards that really want to do more around this, but maybe don't know how to get started or exactly what does this mean? And so I think these frameworks help 
to frame the question and what is culture and what is diversity? What is inclusion? And then giving some good ideas on how the board can, as we just talked about, how can the board in their role as advisor, how can we help to either direct, redirect, or just ask those probing questions to make sure our organization is really embracing diversity, equity, and inclusion all the way through the organization. Well, Virginia, I want to ask one last question before we wrap up, and this is going to be a little more personal. I want to go back to kind of your life, your professional journey, building your career. As you mentioned, you know, 33 years is is an exceptional tenure, one that we we just don't see in today's sort of professional landscape. But I want to sort of peel back the concept of mentorship. In all my interactions with you, you know, you're incredibly, you know, confident. You draw from a strong notion of, I've tried this. I'm confident asking even the questions that I don't know the answers to. And that's not always easy, especially for us as women, as we're building our careers. I've certainly had a number of mentors that have opened doors for me and that I've drawn upon and have guided me. And I want to turn to you and, and see, were there any significant mentors or shall I even call them sort of professional sponsors that maybe had an impact on examples or opening up the trajectory of your career path and And how do you kind of looking back, look at their guidance and and how do you sort of in turn give back in terms of your mentorship? Well, this is definitely a topic that I I enjoy talking about it because I think it's really important. And absolutely, I have had mentors and I have had champions. And for me, just to clarify, I say a mentor is somebody that you can sit down and really talk about things with and, hey, this is the dilemma going on. Maybe how should I handle it? Or, hey, I'm thinking about this career, I'm thinking about this job, help me to develop myself for that role. That's, a to me, a mentor. A champion or a sponsor for me is somebody who, when I'm not in the room, they're the person saying, hey, you know, Virginia would be great at that. Let's put Virginia in charge of that. Or new possibility coming up, oh, you know, is speaking out and saying, oh, let's put her in that role. Or, and I'm very much a person who wants to mentor men and women because I think everybody needs this. So I think sponsoring somebody, so speaking up for them on their behalf when they're not even there and really being their champion and mentoring, helping to guide are very important things. Yes, I've had plenty of them myself. And now I really do, and I still have them. So don't mishear me. I still have people who I go to and talk to But I also am very keen always to help people who are in this upward climb of the corporate ladder, if you will. And so I do spend quite a bit of time. I love doing it because it gives me the opportunity to share some of my experiences. And I will tell you, I'm very quick. In fact, I'm mentoring a a young woman out of Chicago who has great upward mobility and I was telling her something the other day. She was going to give a presentation and I said, listen, I I would love to work with you on the presentation if you want me to, because I was given tremendous feedback that was so helpful to me. And I explained to her what I had done wrong and how it impacted me and how through some coaching that I got from an outside firm, my presentations got so much better. And so to me, it's not about this is what you should do, but also 
giving experiences where it didn't work out so great for me. And these were some of the things, the lessons I learned, and maybe I can put that to you. But I really think it's very helpful for men and women to help those who are in these lower levels and have this upward trajectory and the desire to, to really take the time to stop, turn around, and as people say, lend a hand to pull somebody up along with you. And I do say that it's so important to have, as a woman, I think it's important to have mentors who are men and mentors who are women, because when we talk about diversity, people come at things from different angles and people who have diverse backgrounds and experiences, not just somebody in your business line or your organization. And so you get the idea. But I'm really big on mentoring. I love to do it. I love to spend the time with people. And it's so, I always say it all through my career, the most rewarding piece of my career was not my upward mobility and climbing, but it was to see people that you were working with or that you had maybe hooked up with another coach or mentor to see them move ahead. That development to me was worth everything from the standpoint of making me feel like, okay, we're really accomplishing something here. And so I, you know, I certainly suggest to everybody that they get to be mentors and hopefully they're champions for people as well. No, you couldn't have said it any better. It can be so rewarding and it's a very positive, if not an infectious behavior. So I hope we can mm-hmm. spread more of that. So Virginia, there's, I could speak to you for hours. I've, I've learned so much through your reflections, but we're going to be respectful for our listeners' time. So I want to thank you for opening up and sharing a lot of your thoughts on all of these matters from ESG to the trajectory of your career, mentorship, being a good champion, uh, the importance of diversity and culture. There's so much that we covered, but thank you, Virginia, for your time. Thank you, Marcia. I really appreciate being asked to participate on your podcast. And I hope that our discussion here today triggers something in somebody's mind to think differently about maybe whether it's ESG or culture or mentoring. It would be great. Thank you. Thank you. And to you all, I'm going to close up. This is Dr. Marcia Shaggy-Hames. I want to thank you all for listening to the Principled Podcast by LRN. We hope you enjoyed this episode. The Principled Podcast is brought to you by LRN. At LRN, our mission is to inspire principled performance in global organizations by helping them foster winning ethical cultures rooted in sustainable values. Please visit us at LRN.com to learn more. And if you enjoyed this episode, subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen. And don't forget to leave us a review.